there was a way in which, as I look back on it, I had the wrong glasses on. And uh, any listener who can identify with any semblance of shame, that feeling of, I don't maybe measure up and I need to perform more in order to measure up, can become like like shame-tainted spectacles through which you see everything. And the problem is we don't realize that's the way we're seeing it. And so spiritual growth for me, as I look back on it, has been God increasingly opening my eyes to my true identity in Christ. Welcome to the Faith Inspired Podcast by Faith and Gather. I'm your host, Erica Dvorak. Join me and the Faith and Gather community as we become faith-inspired to tackle the messy and embrace the beautiful areas of life. We're going to meet you right where you're at, right when you need it, by helping you live a less stressed, more joy-filled life lived by bold faith and walking in obedience. You have a God-sized calling, but you don't have to choose between your sanity or juggling it all. We'll keep you one step ahead, armed with knowledge to fight your everyday battles and live a life faith-inspired. Because faith is not just a belief. It's a lifestyle. Life and relationships can sometimes feel complicated and frustrating, but with the right perspective, everything changes. So what if we saw the world and our circumstances through the eyes of Jesus? Instead of anger, we experience freedom. Instead of judgment, we discover compassion. And instead of fear, we grab a hold of victory. Pastor Ellen Wright, the author of Seeing as Jesus Sees, How a New Perspective Can Defeat the Darkness and Awaken Joy, believes that by asking a simple question, we can begin to see everything from the eyes of Jesus in His grander, more compassionate perspective. In this episode, Pastor Alan and I talk about how we can remove the spiritual blinders that cloud our vision and learn to see as Jesus sees. How pausing, connecting, and looking is a powerful concept for refocusing your perspective beyond what you see, and how the focus from doing to seeing is the transformation our world needs. Prepare to experience transformation in your heart as Pastor Allen provides vivid examples of shifting perspectives and how one question can change not only your sight, but your understanding of God's love for you and the world. Hey, Pastor Allen, welcome to the Faith Inspired Podcast. I'm so glad to be with you. Thanks for having me, Erica. Yeah, thank you so much for being on. I just love your spirit and your enthusiasm. I'm, I know that we're going to have just a great conversation today. Thank you for your spirit. You're just a, I mean, just even being able to see your big smile, if people don't get joy from that and join in with that, they're missing something big. So it's a privilege to be with you. Oh, thank you. You are so kind. Too kind. Thank you. Appreciate that. And I'm excited to have you on today because as we were talking before, when I got your book in the mail and I was taking a peek at it, I was just like, wow, so blown away by the message and the individuals who endorsed the message as well. And I was like, this is a guy that I have to have on. And then I started reading the book and my eyes were opened. And that really is the point of the book. Your book is titled Seeing as Jesus Sees how a new perspective can defeat the darkness and awaken joy. And so I know that my eyes and the listener's eyes are going to be opened up even more today as we have this discussion on really how we can see the world as Jesus sees it and even our circumstances as he sees them. So I'm excited to dive in. And if you could get us started really 
by telling us a little bit about you and who you are. Well, uh, I'm a pastor and I'm an author and we've got a radio program for a dozen years. It's around the nation. And when I'm not doing all that stuff, I love spending time with my sweetheart wife, Anne, and our latest joy which has been even up to this very weekend, is doing anything I can to get a smile or a laugh from my one-year-old grandbaby, our first grandbaby, Mia, who just last week took her first steps. And last night, they're visiting at our house. I saw her take her first steps since she came into my arms. So there's my new pursuit in life, my grandbaby to laugh and to come and run into my arms. So that (laughs) you got to get more fun than that. But uh, Erica, I've been pastoring a church in North Carolina that's uh, a multi-site congregation that's 110 years old, but has gone through a renewal and transformation. And so we're now meeting in four different cities. And I just love it and feel like the best is yet to come and um, love the hunger for the gospel. We've been trying to share that around the world as well. So when I'm not doing those things, I like the guitar and the piano, and I'm sort of a golf addict. So that's also there. I love that. And I love your heart. And you do write about your wife so beautifully in the book. And I believe the listeners can just hear it, just the love that you have for Jesus and for others. But if you read his book, you can see how it really comes through on those pages. So let's talk about the book. Why why write the book at this time in this age? You know, in a lot of ways, I felt like that this book and this simple prayer that I've been praying for about 40 years, Jesus, how do you see this? that in some ways I would say it's new to me, like a new and fresh spiritual practice, uh, an additional spiritual discipline of sorts. But in some other ways, I would say it's also my whole life story. As someone who went through uh, some of the kind of shame that you can experience as a child for a broken family and my dad's drinking struggles, there was a way in which, as I look back on it, I had the wrong glasses on. And uh, any listener who can identify with any semblance of shame, that feeling of, I don't maybe measure up and I need to perform more in order to measure up, can become like like shame-tainted spectacles through which you see everything. And the problem is we don't realize that's the way we're seeing it. And so spiritual growth for me, as I look back on it, has been God increasingly opening my eyes to my true identity in Christ, opening my eyes, therefore, to whole new ways of understanding and relating to other people and to this whole big world. So in many ways, it's my life story, but it also is my story of the last three or four years when a friend said, I wish there were a book about how Jesus sees things. You know, we had the big movement of what would Jesus do, which is a noble thought. The problem with it is most of us know When we're feeling impatient with our kids, yeah, Jesus would be more patient than I am. So let's just be more patient. But I think all of us can identify that knowing we ought to be more patient doesn't make us more patient. And so it is with all spiritual transformation. And Erica, I'm just, I thirst to help people, first myself, but everyone, to be transformed by the power of the gospel, by an authentic inward transformation. And so when, when this person asked me, he said, well, I wish there were a book like this, I started looking. I could, not only could I not find one, but I realized it was a neglected question in my own life, one that shouldn't be neglected. It's something I realized we should be asking the Lord all day long. I open my eyes. How do I see this? Because when you see something 
in a new perspective, it changes you in an instant. It'll change you thoroughly. And so I have for some years now just I don't. I can't say that I'm like every spiritual. I don't, I don't always do it. You know, I still have my moments where I just wallow in my confusion or judgmentalism or impatience or whatever it might be. But more now, I say, Jesus, how do you see this? And I realize He loves to answer that. It's a way to a relational and spirit-led lifestyle where we're allowing our own perspective to be shaped through the very eyes of Jesus, and beautiful things happen. We see wonders, and also a lot of things get clarified, and it changes us. So I've been praying it. It's been helping me, and I wanted to write the book and help others. Yeah, there's a excerpt in your book that I want to read because it goes along with what you were saying, and I just— it really opened my eyes to this whole concept of not the what would Jesus do, but, you know, Jesus— have me see this as like you would see it, you know, give me eyes to see like you. It says, though most people focus on doing, it is seeing that matters. How we see ourselves, others, and the world that shapes how we think, feel, and behave. When we see things wrongly, it wreaks havoc in our relationships and wrecks our peace. And when we miss seeing the grace all around us, it snuffs out our wonder and joy. And that just struck me because it was so powerful how we do and we view from our perspective and how if we just stop and pause and really have that perspective of Jesus, things will just change. We will have that transformation that you were talking about. So really, how do we begin to remove, as you say in your book, those spiritual blinders and really gain a clearer view and vision of what Jesus sees? The reason I wanted to focus in on one little prayer, brief enough for a single breath, but deep enough to change everything, is because of its simplicity and yet at the same time, its endless depth for us. My first encouragement to all our listeners is just try it. You know, this is one of those things you you don't have to go to school for this. You don't you don't if, if you're a new Christian or if you're long uh, been in a long relationship with Jesus in a very wonderful and intimate way, you can just start pausing and saying, "Jesus, how do you see this?" And when you pause like that, you allow your your own heart to be connected to the heart of God. You're allowing yourself in a moment like that to say, what I want right now is I want to have your perspective and I want to be connected to you spiritually and I don't want to be limited by my own flesh or my own earthly perceptions. I really want to have this moment of fellowship with you. And so that's a kind of connecting. And then after a pause, a prayer, a connection with God, just allow yourself to have the permission to look again. Just look again. Like I was seeing it this way, but let me let me see. Maybe having having asked Jesus for his eyes, he's going to show me a different perspective and look again. And you might just be surprised. A model for this, I think, and, and, and it's a model that I chose to use in the book, those despondent disciples on the road to Emmaus on the day of the resurrection. And this is the best day in history. It's Easter day. It's Jesus is raised from the dead, but they didn't know it. So they're on their way to Emmaus. They are depressed. And uh, the text says they stood still looking sad. 
as Jesus began talking with them. And, you know, Jesus is such a wonderful person, and he's just delightful, and he's intriguing, and I think sometimes he he's playful. And maybe he was just being a little playful, or maybe he was allowing them to process their grief. I don't know. But he didn't reveal himself immediately. But instead, they stood together, they paused, and in fact, they invited him to continue to talk to him. So then they experienced a real connection. And then it was in the breaking of the bread that Luke tells us their eyes were open. And as soon as their eyes were open and they realized Jesus was not dead in a grave, they realized they were with the Lord of the universe. They realized that their hopes had not been dashed. They'd been fulfilled and their perspective changed. Then they're, they're running off to tell everybody they know. And, and it's a great picture, like pause, connect and look and trust that God with not necessarily changing our circumstance, but just changing our vision can energize us, awaken us, transform us, use us. And that anticipation is enough to make me say, I want to look again at things and not just assume that my first glance at something is what it really is. So a little prayer can do all that, I think. Yeah. You said it's just simple. It's a simple one sentence, less than, you know, a breath that you can ask. And I thought, how Jesus is that? Because he is so simple and we make it so complicated, but he's so deep. You know, we complicate things and expect it to be complicated because it's supposed to be deep. But really, Jesus is just like, come to me, ask the simple questions. I will open your eyes and then we can go deep. When you were sharing about the simplicity of this, I was just remembering a lady named Doris in the first church I served, my first little church that was many, many years ago. And um, we were a small church, and the city had kind of grown around, but we still had a lot of rural folk, and they had some good gardens, you know, and Doris was one of them. She was simple, uneducated widow, and uh, she had her, her hands had grown arthritic but she still could do some amazing needlework. And uh, she would from time to time have me over to eat lunch, fresh vegetables from her garden, North Carolina tomatoes in the summertime, Erica, I'm telling you. And uh, I remember one time being with her and I asked her about one of her pieces of needlework that she'd been working on. It was beautiful. And uh, I just said, uh, how lovely, Doris. I said, how do you do it? And she said, well, I get to points where I get stuck and I can't see the way forward. And she said, and I'll just say, Jesus, help me here. Help me to see this. And she was given this beautiful, sweet, the simplest testimony of just in an everyday, this is, this is her art. This is her life. This is, and she just, she was just like a child. And yet I really think Jesus was helping her to see things. I think about a building contractor, a friend of mine who began his career as a, as a paint contractor, and um, he innovated several ways of being creative in these huge floor spaces at the High Point Furniture Market. And he innovated a way of painting these. And I said, how'd you do it? He said, I just pause. I say, Jesus, just show me how to do this. Just show me. Just let me see. And it's like in the some of the simplest, most practical ways, but also in the deepest things. Because, you know, some of our listeners, they're going through hard places in relationship, and most of it is rooted in misunderstanding. And if we could understand, and if we had the grace to see and understand, miracles can happen. 
so simple, but endlessly deep. So whether it be the practical little things in life or the deepest matters of life, or whether it just be, I've been running through life and I haven't seen anything that's made me full of wonder in a long time and ask him, and he might just show you the Grand Canyon. He might show you some beauty that you hadn't seen just for the asking, all of that and more. Yeah, the Grand Canyon, that part, and it's at the beginning of your book and the introduction part, but that resonated so well with me because I went to the Grand Canyon, let's see, it was about two years ago, uh, maybe two or three years ago, and I had never been there before. I had seen the pictures online. I had seen the pictures in the brochure, and in my head, I was thinking, oh, it's just going to be another landmark. You know, I don't want to go to this location, but my husband wanted me to go, and so I thought, okay, we'll just go. And as we got out of our car and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, you know, you're just, you're driving around and all of a sudden it just pops up and you, you get out and, oh my goodness, the majesticness of it all, like was just, my mind was blowing. I, I was literally breathless. Like it took my breath away when I was standing there, just the beauty and the colors. And when the clouds would go over it, like no one could ever paint a picture or take a picture that would show exactly what it was with your own eyes. And so when I read that in your book, I'm like, wow, I get it. Like it just snapped for me of, I understand that it is like taking it from a brochure, taking it from a picture and really seeing it with your own eyes. That's what I want for people. I, I, I want, and I want it for myself and I want it for everyone. I, not not to see a brochure of the Grand Canyon, but see the real thing. And the, the Bible is God's word to us, but it's it's not a brochure. It's the living word of God. And, and I think he wants to open our eyes to wonders of grace that we've, we've not seen. And I've been to the Grand Canyon more than once. Once when I was in college, I was single and went camping with two buddies across the way. And my jaw dropped. It was amazing. But we took a trip across out west when our son was 15 and our daughter was 11. And Erica, I couldn't wait for them to see the Grand Canyon. And so when we first came to the rim, I wasn't looking at the Grand Canyon. I was looking at their faces. If you love someone, you take great delight in seeing their jaw drop at beauty and seeing their soul be flooded with wonder. And I just think God's a lot like that. I think Jesus loves to see us full of of wonder, and um, he wants to lead us to those places. I think of, uh, as I tell early in the book, of his encounter with Nathaniel that he saw under a fig tree, and he saw him in the spirit, and he told him, and Nathaniel was so amazed that he was shocked, and that this man, this prophet, how could he do this? And And Jesus says, you're amazed that I saw you under a fig tree? And I think maybe Jesus was really surprised. And he was like, wow, my mission's just starting. They're amazed if all I do is see them under a fig tree. (laughs) And he said to Nathaniel, you'll see greater things than that. And indeed he would. I think he means not only you'll see me raise the dead. I think he also means you'll see grace up close. You'll see lives that are transformed by a power not their own, and you'll see beauty that you hadn't seen before. So I just think that Jesus is our tour guide on this journey. That's the figure I kept in mind throughout the book. Jesus, be the tour guide and take readers alongside of you, shoulder to shoulder, so they can see with you. How are you seeing 
a woman caught in adultery? How are you seeing the city that would stone you? How are you seeing the big storm that would threaten you? And just look with him. We can ask him all throughout the day, how do you see this? But we also can come alongside of him in the word and experience life through his eyes. And it helps us learn, oh, this is how Jesus sees things. Yeah, and there's so much grace in that. You know, as you were talking, I just pictured we are His children, and it's hard to think of when you get older and you you battle life and you you go through a lot of things and your heart hardens a little bit, even if you're a believer. You know, we just get a little bitter as we get older and because we've got some bumps and bruises. And just to go back to that heart, God has grace for us, and He does want us to see things like you wanted to see your children to see Grand Canyon. He's like, I know, I know you have maybe messed up or thought something or judgmental, but just ask me that simple question and I will open your eyes and I will love it. And I will give you grace for that. You know, it is one of the most freeing and beautiful things can ever happen in our heart when we have harbored a resentment or a judgment against someone. And then our eyes are opened and it's cleared and then it lifts. You know, when you're saying that, Erica, I was just sitting here thinking about an instant in my life years ago. There was something that we went through in the church. It was a change we made that some of our venerated long-term members, not many, but some had a problem with the with the change to, to our facility. It was a change. And there was one man in particular. I loved him. I'm going to call him John. And he had a real problem with it. And his demeanor changed towards me. And we'd had a beautiful relationship. Any of our listeners can understand what that feels like, whichever side you're on, where when you, if you're experiencing a judgment from someone and it just, everything changes. And it's like now they're looking for the bad and they can't see the good. And the relationship is so marred by that. And I tried talking with him, but he just couldn't get there. We'd opened up a new space in our church that was had a young adult ministry going, and it had been altering some other space that had been used in different ways before. I guess it felt like a violation of history, or it, I, I don't know why, but it it had injured him and some others. And one day after church, I had just told a story. I just told a story about a, a young adult, a 22-year-old, I think it was, who had accepted Christ at that Saturday evening service in that new space. And afterwards, John, this this older man, he came up to me and he said, are young people meeting Jesus in there? I said, yeah, they are, John. And his eyes misted over and he said, that's good with me. And he said, I've held this against you and I'm sorry. He said, I'm, I'm glad that it's being used in that way. The reason the story came to mind, Erica, I hadn't thought of that story in a long time, but the reason it came to mind is We then started walking down the hall together, and he said to me, I feel like the way of the world's been lifted off my shoulders. And what was so interesting to me about that revelation from him was that you think when you judge somebody that it's hurting the other person, but what he was saying was, this has left me heavy and sad because I think he did love me, but he had this, he was seeing things wrong, whether he misinterpreted motive or whether... And when the Lord, just in a moment of revelation, just opened his eyes to that, not only is our relationship restored, but he was elated. And so I just encourage our listeners, 
if you're having a challenging place in a relationship, to ask Jesus for his eyes. How do you see this person? And really mean it. Really ask him so that you can allow him to maybe open your eyes to a new perspective. It doesn't mean, of course, Erica, that we're ever excusing another sin. Jesus didn't do that. But he he has a way of looking inside and seeing who a person is designed to be, who they're destined to be, what their real identity is. I think he wants to help us be able to see people like that. Yeah. One of the stories that resonated with me that is the beginning of your book as well is that we can have those relationship issues, those misunderstandings that create this bitterness. And then we need to get that forgiveness part to really, you know, see as Jesus sees to get to that forgiveness part. But one that stood out to me was like, oh man, I do this all the time. And I don't mean to, but we're human and we do. And judgment just comes without us even thinking about it. It comes to the forefront. And it was the story of the gentleman on the train uh, with the gentleman who had kids. I would love for you to share that one because I think that one, you know, if someone's not struggling with any personal relationships, they sure can relate to that one. Yeah. So a businessman after a long day gets onto a, a crowded train and he just wants to unwind, read his newspaper and have a peaceful ride home. But about the time he unfurls his paper, a father comes aboard with a couple of rambunctious boys. And uh, they're bouncing around, and they start bumping into people. They're making a lot of noise. They're bothering the passengers. They're just bothering people. And the businessman starts thinking, why doesn't this father do something? And we've all been in a situation like this, right? You're sitting there in a public setting, And you know how our thoughts can go. I mean, I'm imagining his thoughts. You know, that's the problem with America today. Nobody disciplines their kids. You know, I mean, and next thing you know, you're thinking, if that were me, I'd be doing thus and such. And so now we've got pride. Now we've got anger. Now we've got frustration. And you could just imagine all the thoughts swirling. And the longer it went on with the father doing nothing to discipline his boys, finally, the businessman just stewing over this said he had to say something. So finally, he just said, sir, sir, excuse me. He said, can't you see your, your boys are bothering people? They're, they're loud. They're bumping into people. He said, don't, don't you think you should control them? And he said that the father, as if emerging from a fog and like waking up, said, yes, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Boys, calm down. Calm down, boys. Be quiet. And then he looked back at the businessman and he said, I, I'm sorry. I'm not thinking straight. He said, we, we just left the hospital. Their mother died a couple hours ago, and they're not themselves. I'm not either. Boys, calm down. Well, you just put yourself in that businessman's shoes, and you realize this is what I'm talking about here is how everything changed in an instant. Suddenly, the businessman says to the father, Oh, no, 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 no. They're not bothering me. They're not. How can I? I'm so sorry. What could I do for you? And here's the thing. He meant it. He wasn't just saying it. His feelings had changed. His heart changed. His attitude changed. What he wanted. So impatience became patience. Frustration became compassion. And resentment became kindness just for seeing it differently, just like that. And I think so often that if we could just 
pause and let God open up our eyes, that's the way that the transformation can happen in our hearts. It just doesn't work to sit there as a frustrated businessman and go, oh, I feel so impatient. I need to be more patient. It just doesn't work like that. Something else more powerful must happen. So this is real gospel power because God is a God of revelation and he loves to open up our eyes. I'm starting to practice it more, even in a public setting. I don't always do it perfectly. (laughs) What I thought of there was that if we ask for patience, that's on us. That's all on us. We're just, oh, I need to be more patient. And that puts more pressure on us. And then for me, I get more anxious. Like I'm not performing. I'm not doing like I should. You know, I'm not a good Christian. But if we just pause there for a second and really ask that question and let God transform our heart, that's on Jesus. And that's that full internal, like whole self transformation. And as you were sharing that story, I just got teary eyed because it is just that flip of the script by just changing that because I've been there before, just that anger and that bitterness and then being able to just open your eyes to what their story could be. Even if you don't know what their story is, there's a lot of opportunity where we don't have the ability to see the story, but just to even have that curiosity of like, instead of accusing, oh man, their children don't know how to behave because they don't reprimand them or they're not taught, you know, X, Y, Z. And to just pause for a second and say, you know what, what if they don't have a dad at home? What if, you know, they don't have enough money for certain things? Or, you know, what if, just asking that what if question and having God just show you what he can in that moment. I think that's just so beautiful and it chokes me up a little bit. (laughs) I love the point you're making there, Erica, that to say, Jesus, how do you see this is to become Christocentric. It is becoming Christ-centered. It is looking to the author and finisher of our faith. This is how faith arises. It comes through seeing, and it doesn't come through trying harder to have more faith. And I think that's just so powerful because any kind of prayer that basically just turns it back to our own effort in the end will be impotent. But this is powerful because it's God's own, his own eyes. And I just feel like it's so important to keep reminding ourselves This is very close to the heart of God. This is the will of God. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not stumble in the darkness. This is the thing he loves to do. He said, I I came to open up the eyes of the blind. He said, I'm the light of the world. And when you look at Paul and you pay attention, I think it's real important to pay attention to how Paul prayed because this apostle who knew the Lord so intimately and was used by God so powerfully and wanted so much for God's people He didn't merely pray things like help them bear greater witness or help them be better evangelists or help them. He said, may the eyes of your heart be opened up and enlightened so that then through the enlightenment, you know the hope of your calling. You know your glorious inheritance in the saints. You then experience the incomparably great power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead at work in and through you. Open our eyes up to this. There's so much that God has done, so much that God has laid up in treasure. Paul said to the Ephesians, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And just think if our eyes could be open, we would see ourselves much more richly as his co-heirs, and it would just, it would change everything. How much of our pride would melt away? How much of our worry would just 
lift and evaporate through his eyes. Such transformation there. I would love to get your take on, there's a lot going on in our world right now. I mean, there has been for generations and generations, but I think right now after the pandemic and just some of the things that are political going on, and now we've got this war going on, I would love to get your perspective on how how you think Jesus views that with his eyes. Because I personally, and I've had conversations with others too, have a fearful eye of that or, you know, a judgmental eye of that. How do you think Jesus views all that's going on? Well, I thought it was important in the book to address the question of how Jesus sees me, our own identity, how he sees others, but also how he sees the world. And I'm glad that I gave thought to this before some of these horrific world events that have captured uh, so much of our prayer and attention and have caused so much pain and worry and anger and all of this, to just ask, you know, of, of Jesus through the pages of Scripture first, how do you see this broken world? I try to go back and read the gospel stories as if I'd never read them, to watch how Jesus, through his eyes, stand with him and see how he sees the world. And, of course, we know God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So he, he can love a world that is at enmity with him. And he loves that which has rejected him. So we know that however we look through Jesus' eyes, there's going to be a picture of love. But I specifically want to know, what about, what about the world at its worst? And I thought of the instances in the Gospels where Jesus looks out over Jerusalem. And I think God, you know, looks upon not just individuals, but communities and cities and regions. And, and you know, cities can have personalities and, and are pulsating with their own life and culture. And, and God cares about all of that. And Jesus stopped and looked over Jerusalem itself. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets. He said, how, how often I wish I could have gathered you under my wings like a mother hen, like, like this picture of I wish I could have, I wish I could have brought you in and shown you what makes for peace, but you weren't willing. And what does Jesus do when he looks at the world that's going to reject him, falsely accuse him, beat him, lacerate him? persecute him, and crucify him. And he weeps. He weeps. And it's not the only time that he weeps over the, over the city. And what I began to realize was that when you look at the scriptures and you go, how was Jesus seeing the brokenness of the world? He grieved it. He really did not lash out in anger at the rejection that he was going to experience from people who did not know him or recognize him. I also noticed that the times he did get really angry, he was angry not so much at the sinners who knew they were sinners. He was angry at the Pharisees and the religious hypocrites who, in their religiosity, were claiming self-righteousness. And because of the perspective of Jesus from grace, that he knows how much people need grace. That's what made him angry. But a lot of the things, and this is where I'm leading with this, a lot of the things that cause us anger, 
I think, make Jesus sad. So I thought it was important to point out in the book a really sound philosophy about the roots of anger from Christian psychologist Larry Crabb, who many years ago said, our anger comes from what we perceive to be blocked goals. We have desires and we have goals. Desires, they're noble. They're things we wish for. World peace, we desire for it. We desire for, we desire our spouses to grow spiritually and and, and wives desire for their husbands to lead in the home and, and husbands desire for their wives to respect them. And on and on the list goes. Beautiful desires, but desires are things we can't control. We can just pray about them. Goals are things that we can control. We do something about it. And Leah Crabb said, and it's helped me through my own counseling over the years with people to remember this, that if you have something that you desire, but you make it in your mind as a goal, like as if you can do something about it, but you can't really, when that goal gets blocked, we get angry. And Jesus knew the difference. And so I think often, Erico, we get angry and it masks the real and more authentic expression of our souls, which is grief. So my first answer to the horrors of the world around us that we see that are on full display now, where we we don't just have rumors of war, we have war. The first response is grief. And I think we also need to allow Jesus to help us be in touch enough to say, I acknowledge where my anxieties are in this. And is there a place for us to join Jesus in righteous anger? And I think the answer to that is yes. So when there's atrocity of terrorism, I think our, our reaction is, as Jesus sees us, he weeps over this, like, this is not the world that I made. And it's not the way I'm going to leave it in the end. I'm going to fix all this. But the sadness moves us to draw on the heart of God rather than to go inward and only become judgmental and angry. It does not in any way ever excuse any human sin, and certainly not the atrocities of of terrorism, of Hamas, or, or anyone. But it also, I think, goes far to help those that say, well, what about the suffering innocent Palestinians? Yes, we're sad for all human suffering. We're sad for the brokenness of this world. And it leads us to this place of grief where we share that with Jesus, and there's comfort for us when we grieve. Misplaced anger so often leaves us feeling destitute of real comfort because what we really, I think, should be feeling is grief. So that's part of the answer to that. Uh, The other thing that is part of the answer, Erica, is we— And I put a chapter in the book on this because if you're going to see as Jesus sees, we need to acknowledge that Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He has seen the end from the beginning. He has seen the power of his cross over the devil and all of hell. And he knows the victory that has been won. And he wants us to live with that kind of assurance. That's the kind of thing that starts answering our fears no matter what is going on in this world, as bad as it might be, it calls us to prayer. It calls us sometimes to action, but it doesn't call us to fear because Jesus has already effectively brought the demise of evil. And as we await its consummation, he reminds us, hey, if you were looking through my eyes, you would see a defeated foe. 
So there's a victory also that has to be in. So that's kind of a long answer to a really hard question for the world today. But maybe we need more grief than we do judgmentalism and anger, despite the great horrors of the great sins we're seeing. And maybe we also need to be reminded daily that the devil has been defeated and God's got this world in his hands. Yeah. Grief and victory. I think so often we don't believe that they go hand in hand, but I've battled some intense things this summer and I've realized that grief and victory are so hand in hand and you can have grief within the victory at the same time. Yes. Thanks be to God, Paul says, who gives us the victory. And so in the greatest struggles, who will deliver me? Thanks be to God who gives the victory. It's not our victory. It's his. He gives it, but it really is ours. Wow. Uh, Such a good conversation. Pastor Allen, I so appreciate you. I want to give you an opportunity because the book is just so life-giving and transformative. I would love for you to tell the listeners where they can connect with you and then where they can purchase the book. Thank you, Erica. Thanks so much for having me. You can get the book from retailers anywhere, your favorite retailer, or you can connect with us at pastorallen.org. And at pastorallen.org, lots of resources. Our our daily radio broadcast is also a podcast, sermons that are available there, lots of free resources that are there. And especially every day, uh, I write a blessing and um, it goes out to a lot of people and it's free and you just sign up and you can have in your inbox a positive vision spoken in faith, hopefully from the perspective of the way God would see you, that hopefully it strengthens you for the day. You can get that there and lots of other stuff, pastorallen.org. Love that. And you have a new listener with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I have one more question for you before we go. I want to know what brought you joy today. This right here, your smile and this conversation It is like you, just in recent times, I've been through some stressful things. And in fact, I had to have some stressful uh, conversations today on a couple of difficult, challenging things. Isn't it amazing, though, that when you get a conversation like this, it does something to your spiritual eyes and reconnects you with Christ. And I think that's what spiritual fellowship's about. And um, you gave that to me today. So that's caused me joy. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And yeah. Same to you. You gave me so much spiritual joy. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on. I can't thank you enough and many blessings to you and continued godly success with this book. I know that it'll just continue to transform people's eyes and lives and win more people to the kingdom. Thank you so much, Erica. God bless. Jesus, how do you see this? How powerful is that one question? You don't need to do more. You need to just see more, more of what Jesus sees. I hope the eyes of your heart have opened to a whole new level of understanding of how Jesus sees you and the world. I'm so grateful you spent time today listening to this episode. If you were encouraged by what you heard, share the love with other women you know and send them the link to this episode. Just think how many more women could be blessed with faith inspired encouragement. Love and prayers, Erica. Congrats on saying yes to a life filled with joy and Jesus. If you want more, head to faithinspiredpodcast.com 
for show notes and links to all the resources mentioned in today's episode. Be sure to subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform to stay faith-inspired. And remember, faith is not just a belief, it's a lifestyle.